Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling moment starts. We're in a Welcome, everybody. And again, it's Hollywood Godfather Podcast with my compadre, Pat Picciarelli, who wrote that, fam- that famous book, Hollywood Absolutely. Godfather, My Life in the Movie and the Mob, that's still selling, fortunately, for us. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I'm so famous now, I don't even know why I'm here. Well, we're, we're expanding your fame, that's why. Oh, thank you. Okay, that was the reason. I got it. Okay. And unfortunately, our... Our millennium is out sick today. These young kids, they can't take care of themselves. Anyway. Uh, they're going to hell with themselves. We'll, we'll miss her. Yes, we will. Why don't you introduce our guest? I know he's an old friend of yours, and I can't wait to he, talk to him about well, some old well, friends of mine. <laughs> okay, well, he's old. I'm not. That said, uh, t- today we're going to be talking about uh, Operation Greylord which was uh, an undercover, undercover operation against uh, corrupt uh, lawyers, politicians, and cops in Chicago in the 80s. This uh, investigation went on for three and a half years, and a lot of people wound up going to jail. Uh, in fact, a total of 93 people were indicted, including 17 judges, 48 lawyers, 10 deputy sheriffs, eight cops, eight court officials, and state legislature uh, legislator James DeLeo. Now, how uh, come I don't get a tear in my eye when I hear those names? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there was one mob guy in the group. So, uh, uh, out of the 17 uh, uh, judges indicted, 15 were convicted. And uh, our guest, Paul Cialino, I'll give you a little background on Paul. He and I have been friends for years. He's a Chicago PI. And uh, I've been in the business a while. I don't think I've met a better private investigator. Uh, he's uh, He really knows his stuff. He's gotten several wrongfully convicted men off of death row on his own dime, may I add. And wow. he was uh, uh, the uh, primary person that was behind the then governor of Illinois to put a moratorium on the death penalty. So we can thank Paul for that. And uh, without further delay, I give you Paul Cialino. Uh, good afternoon, Pat Gianni. A pleasure to be on again with my Always, uh, man. Great. We're looking forward to okay, it. Okay. Uh, uh, Paul's been on the show before, and uh, he always has valuable information for us. In this particular case, Paul has a lot of inside information. I have a little. I was uh, uh, introduced to one of the principals, but... Uh, I'll, I'll get into him later. He was an ex-cop named Bob Cooley. Turned out to be a real sleaze bag, but we'll talk about that later. So, Paul, can you give us uh, the overview and some insider details on what this Greylord operation was about? Well, Greylord basically was about corruption within the judicial uh, system in Cook County, which is the second largest uh, court system in the United States behind New York. Uh for years, and I mean historically, going back to the days of uh, Capone and before, the courts have been owned by basically uh, anyone who could buy a case there. And they were notorious. If you want to be a judge, you went and saw the Democratic guy, gave money, he'd make you a judge. That, that's how it worked. That's largely how it still works today. Although you could run without support or endorsement, uh, and you may win on a rare occasion. Generally, you got to go see the party, and the and the party consists of the boys. Uh, and for many many years, especially in the first ward of Chicago, the boys were the organized crime guys. I wish making- I knew that. I always wanted to be a judge. You probably could have been a judge back in the day, Gianni. I was there in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, in fact, your background's cleaner than some of the judges that became judges. So, yeah, you could have been a judge in Chicago. What? Uh- what did a judgeship go for? What was the going rate? Well, I mean, back then it wasn't too bad. Five, ten thousand dollars probably get their attention. Today it's more like a hundred thousand dollars. You're going to make a contribution, and it's someone. still going on. 
Oh yeah, it's still going on. Okay, they deny it, but it's going on. You make a, you join a political pack, you make a big contribution. Next thing you know, you're slated to be a judge. But do you have to have a law background and all of that? Well, you got to be a lawyer to be a judge. You got to okay. have a law license. Oh, okay. I was going to say, wow, there'd be well, a light uh, outside. Many of them, <laughs> their, their law licenses are quite questionable. But yeah, I, listen, uh, the judge, this judicial system in Cook County is notoriously bad. Always so, has been, continues to this day. Okay, let me ask you a question, Paul. So if this uh, corruption was going on for a very long time, why did the feds decide, well, this is the time we're going to investigate it? What kicked it off? I I think, well, Dan Webb was the U.S. attorney back then. Jim Thompson, the uh, four-term governor of Illinois, was the U.S. attorney prior to him. And they made their hay on public corruption cases. I mean, Illinois is the most corrupt state in the United States. We have more politicians go to jail than any other state. This is historical. Well, uh, just to add that, you're absolutely right. They were uh, instrumental in getting John Kennedy elected president. Well, they stole the election through the Teamsters yeah. Union in West Virginia, and that's how they got Kennedy elected. And they stole Illinois for him as well. But that was organized crime people doing that. I was a part of that. I remember that well. <laughs> I mean, they, they called the Teamsters up in West Virginia and told them, uh, you coal miners are voting for Kennedy. The state had never voted Democrat in its existence. They did that year. Uh, and that was all Sam G. and Connor and them guys. Oh, no. I, was, I, I made a lot of road trips for the Culinary Union back to Vegas and I, I, Corky Savella and all them in Kansas City because they were running the Teamsters Brotherhood. Sure. No, I was I, even into New Orleans. For and, the- and so, you know, that's big time politics. Just think what it's like locally, though, right? Wow. I mean, locally, it's been off the hook forever. I mean, it's probably as clean now as it's ever been. But back in the 80s is when I was starting my career in this business in Chicago. It was I. It was nothing for me to hear a defense lawyer tell a guy, hey, 10, 20 grand, I could probably get to the judge. Wow. There was a couple of homicides there that was sort of shuffled under the rug. Oh, there were, uh, Henry Aleman, the most notorious hitman in, in Chicago history almost. Uh, he bought a, 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 a not guilty verdict uh, for 20 grand, I think. Wow. wow. And they retried him. They changed the law, double jeopardy, over that case because the judge in that case had been bribed. He found him not guilty in a bench trial. And then they brought him back to try him again and went to the Supreme Court. And they said, well, no double jeopardy if the judge was bribed. It doesn't count. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. That, that, that's probably only prison. the one case I've ever heard with a double jeopardy. Well, that was because Aleman bribed the uh, trial judge. I think it was a guy named Mahoney. And when they confronted the judge who had retired, he was living in Arizona. The FBI went down there and said, hey, we got you. Uh, he committed suicide a day or two later. Oh, wow. So the way uh, I, I got involved in this was many, many years after, probably in the late 90s. Uh, I got a call from a guy named Bob Cooley, who you're uh, acquainted with, uh, Paul. Only I didn't know him at the time. He just called me. I don't know how he got my phone number for one. There were no cell phones back then, or at least I didn't have one. So he called me on my home phone and he says, do I have a story for you? So I was interested naturally. So uh, he said, I'm in the witness protection program and we have to be very careful about uh, where we meet and how we meet. So we found the safe house, or I did. The guy said, I'm not going to Chicago. I'm kind of busy. You have to come to me. So he did. And we met in a, in a friend's uh, house. And uh, I'm a pretty good judge of character. Where, where were you living then? Pittsburgh. Okay. I'm just trying I, I, to get I, 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 just trying to get the locations for everybody. Yeah, I've been here since '92. Uh, no, my, so, our uh, audience. When you said he came to me, so you take it for yeah. granted. Everybody knows you're in Pittsburgh. That's true. <laughs> uh, but up until that time, when he did contact me, I had written a couple of books, and uh, along the same lines, uh, uh, Underworld figure comes to me, and I hear you got a good reputation. I want you to do my story, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how he got my name. Uh, and anyway, so we meet. And I'm a pretty good judge of character. I mean, I've been doing this a while and 20 years of police work. And this guy was just sleazy. Uh, Would I be correct in saying that, Paul? Well, listen, uh, I don't like snitches to begin with. And Cooley's in the snitch hall of fame. You can't trust a snitch as far as you could throw him. So, yeah, that's an apt description, Pat. Okay, well, he came to me 
he gave me his background and he's well let me give you a little bit of his background as the audience doesn't know uh bob cooley was a police officer and in that capacity he was a bag man uh and after uh while he was uh on the job he decided to go to law school this is a very bright guy by the way i, I was impressed with his intellect because well, we yeah, he was smart let me yeah, ask we, you let me ask uh, you a question that the audience must be thinking about where was your bag man what state what city chicago oh chicago okay yeah no we're he talking was a, he about was a he was a bag man for the outfit guys gianni okay yeah and he also handed some of uh, handled some of their uh, legal problems he was the connect between uh the crooked judges lawyers etc and uh the people right. who wanted to pay them he was right. the bag man and okay, this was so also anyway. in the 80s yeah yeah, yeah. i probably this met was, him at the Leiden motel one night <laughs> okay, so this was this was part of operation gray lord so he his story to me was that uh he found god and uh he wanted to do the right thing and he couldn't live with himself for uh, uh, being uh, corrupt all this time. His conscience was bothering him. And uh, Paul, as you and I know, he got caught with his hand in the cookie jars. What happened? Well, yeah, he got busted, and then he became an honest guy. And then he found God. Right. You know, but that's not what he told Sounds like me. Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, you know, in, in a position I'm in, if I'm going to write somebody's story, the first thing that I uh, uh, make certain of is that the person's telling me the truth. And we start, I, that's how I always start out. I, I have my uh, my disclaimer, it takes like five minutes to go through. And it's basically, you tell me the truth, don't make yourself out to be a white knight. You know, you, you have your flaws, your problems. You're, you're, you're telling the story and the truth will sell. Editors will see through the bullshit. The readers will certainly see through the bullshit. So are we clear? So he says, yes, this is before he told me anything. Then he comes across with this. I found God and I couldn't live with my conscience. And right then I know I figure I'm wasting my time here. But uh, I figure let me hear him out because the facts are the facts other than his version of them, uh, how he was involved. He was still going to tell me a decent story. And I wanted to hear it. So after three days of this, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, look, uh, let me think about this. And I'll get back to you. So the way we parted company was, and I'll, I'll never forget this guy. I, I was going to drive him to the airport, right? So I get in my car, and he had he had bags with him, you know, luggage. He spent uh, three days in Pittsburgh. He had the apt amount of, of luggage. And he says, I pop the trunk. I want to throw the luggage in the trunk. So I pop the trunk. I'm sitting in the car, and he's back there for an inordinate length of time. You know, I think, what's he trying? I just, nothing in my trunk except a spare tire and a case of books, that I've written. I always carry around books in case I ever get stopped by cops, <laughs> you know, for speeding or something. I always, you know, uh, you know, I have a police officer, by the way, would you like a book? It's, it's always helped me out, you know? So anyway, I didn't think anything of it. I figured he's moving things around to get his bags back there, drop them off at the airport. I go home, open up the trunk. Guess what's gone? All of them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what a, was, what a dumb well, I, thief also. <laughs> I, I think, I think he left me one, you know, but, uh, I, I, and then if, if, if I was sitting on a fence, you know, and, and I was, you know, I was going to confront them and say, look, oh, that's, that's great. Your story's great, but you're lying. Tell me the real reason. And if he would have come across with the real reason, I would have done the book, but he didn't. Plus he stole my shit and I was really pissed off and I didn't have anything to do with him. Uh, he tried to convince me, called me a couple of times. And the last I heard of him, Paul, and, and you may have an update on this guy, but he, he continues to move. Uh, he doesn't stay long in one place. He doesn't have a job, per se, where he gets a salary. He's a day trader. And his, his office is his laptop. And, and Paul, did you do have dealings with him also? No, I, I knew him casually. I'd run into him a few times, but I never had any personal dealings with him, nor did any of my clients. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a reputation to stay away from. So did he get caught up in this whole reorganization? Uh, he did not get caught up in Greylord. He got caught up in the uh, Ailman killing where Henry was uh, accused of killing a couple guys on a contract murder. He's the He was the conduit for the bribery to the judge in that case. He wound up testifying in that case that changed the law about double jeopardy. Uh -huh. So but, uh, that's, that's where he became famous, plus some... 
there was some police, a lot of police corruption cases uh, along with them. Maybe it was a tail end of Greylord and the beginning of something, some other new corruption case. But Greylord had already been done. Greylord focused on the courts and the bribery that was going on within the court system. How many people did they take down in Greylord? Well, this is who got convicted. They convicted nine judges, 37 lawyers, and 19 court personnel, Cook County, sheriffs, police, and uh, uh, Chicago police officers who worked in the court. They, they either uh, were found guilty or pled guilty. And and by the way, the Bible on this case is a book called Greylord, Justice Chicago Style, written by my friend Rob Warden and Jim Tui, uh, who did a magnificent job laying this whole thing out from beginning to end. It's a phenomenal book. I don't even know if it's in print anymore. But they, they lay out the whole scheme, how it happened. They got unbelievably great stories in there, uh, how greedy these crazy judges were. I mean... They were open and notorious. They had bailiffs. Judge would be drunk, hung over, laying in bed, would call his bailiffs up and say, handle the bum call this morning. Now, this is right in police headquarters in Chicago. The bailiff would put on the judge's robes, Chicago <laughs> policemen, and go do the bum call, find, you know, 200 guys not guilty. And <laughs> no one knew it was a cop wearing the judge's robes. The judge was just hung over, didn't want to be bothered with it. So the cop did his call for him every morning. Oh, my so, God. One day he's doing this call and one of this particular guy is giving the lockup people a really hard time and fighting with them and you're all communists, et cetera. So he clears the courtroom, gets rid of all the bums, and he brings this guy out after talking to the uh, lockup people. And he says, I find you guilty and I sentence you to death. Boom, take him away. <laughs> to death? You actually thought a judge just gave him a death sentence, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this this was not unusual. I mean, this went on a lot back back I in the day. I sentence you to death. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. I'm sentencing you to death. The guy, everyone is solemn in the courtroom. He bangs the gavel. Take him away. Take him to the gallows. He's, he, we're done with this guy. <laughs> That's and, uh, and this wild. guy thought he just got sentenced to death for smarting off to the jailer. <laughs> That well, is, that's a crazy story. And listen, they were taking bribes, five, ten dollars, twenty dollars in traffic court. I mean, you know, bond slips in gambling court. Uh, the lawyers would split with the judge. If the bond was three hundred dollars, uh, the judge would get one hundred and fifty. Lawyer would get one hundred and fifty. Now they were low, back then. Lawyers are collecting six figures on these bond slips, right? So wow. there's a lot of money being moved around. Now judges today make a lot of dough. They're, probably making about 160,000 a year salary. Great benefit package. Back then, they're probably making 60, 70,000 a year, which was okay, but no one's getting rich. But some right, of these right. guys, they had expensive habits, gambling, whores, you name it. They had all the usual bad habits that corrupt people have, right? right. Uh, alcohol, drug problems, etc. And it, it was, uh, it scared the shit out of every lawyer in Cook County in Chicago. Let me tell you, Everybody was very, very careful for a number of years after that. And even today, there's no open uh, corruption going on. Uh, it, no one even think of bribing a judge today. That just not even thought of. So they did do their job, but a lot of bad things happened as a result of grade law. Two, there was a case called the Marquette 10 I worked on, where 10 Chicago police officers, essentially aggressive guys who worked a bad neighborhood on the west side, uh, locking up drug dealers and, and killers, et cetera. They all went to jail based on the word of a, a, a notorious drug dealer named C.W. Wilson and 60 other drug addicts. And they put these guys in jail. I worked this case. Uh, and they all got the minimum 10 years. Some got 20 on this case. And for, they could never prove they took a penny. It was basically, I mean, none of these guys were living well. Their wives all worked. Their kids worked. Uh these guys were hardcore. We're not going to plead guilty. No one was going to cave in. And I think we had the case one. We had a juror who hated the government in that case. And Dan Webb was the prosecutor. And Webb come to us with a deal. Uh, the 10 defendants said, listen, guys, plead guilty. I'll take off the heavy uh, federal charge. There'll be no mandatory minimums of 10. And these guys basically said, kiss my ass. Well, we had a problem. We're getting ready to go to deliberations. And this juror's father had a heart attack. Another juror came on and replaced them in alternate, and they found these guys all guilty of the charge. It was, it was really a travesty, I thought, because I, there was never proven these guys took money from C.W. Wilson, this drug dealer. And Webb in his closing argument acted like Wilson was going to be in jail until sometime in 2000. This is back in 86, I believe. 
Well, by the time they got done cutting a deal with Wilson and everyone got sentenced, all the cops went to jail. Wilson got out of Wilson used to say, I went to jail in a Cadillac. And when I get out, I'll be in a Cadillac. And sure enough, when he got out of jail, like a year and a half later, he got out in a Cadillac and went right back to drug dealing. So, so the people that the people that got the heavy time with the cops. Always Pat. The, the yeah. ju- <laughs> I, I would say on average, uh, maybe these judges did five, six years. And some of the cops flipped uh, and they got deals. Some of them kept their pensions. Even after they pled guilty at some federal charges, they were allowed to keep their pensions. So, <clears throat> but the point, these judges were, you know, they, they could have walked without some of the testimony of the cops who were actually the bagmen. And a couple of judges did walk uh, and, and perhaps were innocent. I worked one case with a judge who was found not guilty. His wife basically located the records during the trial that proved he couldn't have been someplace taking a, a, a bribe. And we got a not guilty in that particular case. That was Judge Lori. Were there any other suicides other than the one that you mentioned? No, uh, there was none other that I recall. I don't think any of the other ones committed suicide. Okay, before anybody asks via email uh, next week about Cooley, Cooley eventually found an author to write his book and believe all his bullshit. Uh, and the book was published. I read it, and it was a fantasy. And, it, it, and like I said at the start of this, readers know when they're getting hosed, you know? The book went nowhere. The writing yeah. was excellent. I forget who wrote it, a very good writer. But I could tell uh, perhaps he was a little naive, you know? Um, and it didn't Cooley get one of the Giancana relatives to write that book, Pat? His son. Yeah. I, I, and, and his son or his nephew. Yeah, oh, it's his nephew good, with the same he's name. Good, he's a good writer, but you're right. And and I would tell everybody, listen, uh, informants, Lila, if they're breathing, they're lying usually. And, <laughs> and when the government them. gets involved, they'll tell any lie they need to tell to save their ass. I mean, I've just seen it a thousand times in this business. Uh I don't trust informants, don't like informants. If there were no informants, there'd be a lot less people in jail. Um, yeah, and the police wouldn't be so successful, though. <laughs> well, yeah, particularly jailhouse snitches. Oh, the oh, worst. Yeah. You, you can't trust anything that comes out of a jailhouse snitch's mouth. And, well, and it's so bad in Illinois. Yeah. Listen, there are a lot of people have been executed based on jailhouse snitch testimony. Um, and proven later that these snitches never even had access to the guy they were testifying against. I mean, this, this is a big problem with jailhouse snitches, which is the worst of the worst, because these guys go run into the prosecutor. They might be locked up on a DUI and they're cutting a deal on a murder case to get six months shaved off their DUI sentence. I mean, oh, that's wow. the kind of individual you're dealing with. A lot of them are drug addicts that just don't like being locked up because it's tough to get high in jail. You know, when I was going for my doctorate, I did a, uh, a research paper on jailhouse snitches, and a lot of them are professionals. They do this same guy over and over and over again. No matter what kind of case it is, he's got information. He gets, you know, he gets locked up uh, consistently. And a lot of times, you know, it depends when it comes down to that, when it's uh, uh, snitches on the stand, it would depend on the expertise of the defense counsel to uh, uh, indicate that this guy is a liar. Well, and, and in the old days, the judges would let us get at these snitches, like really go after them. But they're so protected by the judge often, I know. the prosecutor, that you never get down to the nitty gritty of who this person is that's testifying. Um, and I, back in the day, I remember I had a guy, a biker, who was testifying against my three Italian clients who owned a bar and the bar burned down. Uh, I happen to think they did not burn down their bar, by the way. They, it was just yeah. that's a money making bar. But this guy was a motorcycle gang member in prison, and he came in to testify. And by the time we got done with this guy, he was so outrageous. The jury hated him. Our guys were all found not guilty. And Gianni, great, great story about Italians. (coughs) During the course of the trial, the government come to one of our clients, the youngest Italian brother, and said, listen, you testify against your brothers, we'll let you go home to your wife and little children, right? So that night we're in a meeting in the lawyer's office, right? And uh, the youngest brother's wife is like, you're taking this deal, buddy. All right. You're coming home with me. 
And man, I you cannot believe the fight between the wives in the lawyers' conference room that night. These two, <laughs> two older wives are going to beat that ass right there, right? Well, he wound up not testifying against his brothers. I don't believe he ever would have, but the young yeah. wife wanted him to. But uh, she wasn't. The older sister-in-laws were like, "We all go to jail, or nobody goes to jail." That's how this is going to run. And it was kind of funny because the husbands are just sitting there like in a tennis match watching the wives go at it, right? That's and, the, and we're just, it was hilarious watching this thing. But that's what informants do. you do. remember the names of these guys? I don't remember them. They owned a bar in Chicago Heights, and they owned a construction company as well. They were young dudes, man. They were good guys. And they had some money from the construction business. They opened a bar, Chicago Heights, notorious outfit area. But I, I don't think they had any connection other than the fact they knew everybody and grew up in the neighborhood, right? Well, they'd but have they to get permission to just open the bar in the neighborhood. Uh, yeah, they were pretty clean-cut guys, though, uh, just, you know, young and and funny as hell. I mean, they were great defendants. I mean, they paid their bills, and we walked them out of the federal courthouse, which is rare. Wow. That is. So were there any, uh, any law enforcement careers made out of this Greylord uh, case? Well, you know, the FBI loves to give each other medals on every case. So I'm sure there's about 500 agents that got attaboys and medals and promotions and, you know. What, what about the prosecutors? Oh, the prosecutors all went on to bigger and better things. Political office, that, that sort of Dan Webb is one of the most highest paid attorneys in the United States. And so, he's still, he's still, now. He's still based out of Chicago? Still based out of Chicago. He's getting up there. He just... He was a special prosecutor in the Jesse Smollett case, if you could believe oh, it. Oh, my God. Yeah, he just prosecuted Jesse Smollett on a bunch of misdemeanors, basically. How'd that, well, that What's going on with that case? Well, Jesse, he's convicted. Yeah, jury found him guilty. He's going to get probation. He'll walk out the door with his little entourage and, you know, write a book about how he was framed at some point. I wonder who's paying his bills. I, that's a good question, Gianni, because I think his broke ass is uh, broke. Oh, no, he's <laughs> so broke. <laughs> he's walking around with an entourage, and they're all dressed nice, and uh, he, he had some high-priced legal talent for a while. Oh, I, I know who they were. It. Believe me, they were all from L.A. Right. And, by the way, uh, there was a young lady who worked at Tina, and we used to watch the news just to see the lovely Tina click-clack down the courthouse. Oh, she was with them every day. Oh, she was fabulous, man. We loved watching her. I was disappointed when she quit the case. And, and what's she worked for? What's your name? Uh, the guy, the, uh, the entertainment uh, lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. What's his name? Out of, out of L.A. Famous guy. Who? Garagos. Yes. Yeah, Mark Garagos. Yeah. yeah right. She worked for Mark because yes. I met him here in New York. I knew her myself. It's Tina, so... the lovely Tina. Oh yeah. Hello, Pat. You'd be That's throwing books at her if you met her in the bar. <laughs> Talking about books, I see you, you and I have the same backdrop here. Buddy, I, I am trying to keep up with you, man. You know, I don't have a PhD, but uh, maybe in bullshit, but I got more books <laughs> than you have, I think. <laughs> I do. Look, you guys are being shot in the library today. You got so many books. Look at you guys. It's amazing. Well, you know, if, if we ever get quarantined again, I, I got plenty of stuff to read. Me too. I couldn't read all the stuff I got. And Gianni, of course... Uh, Hollywood Godfather is displayed prominently. I have about three or four copies of that. Oh, great. Good. I tell all my good friends wrote them. Gianni with the Oscars and Grammys and who, who the hell, whatever you're going to win this year now, Gianni. But uh, <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to blow you away in next year. Well, you know, yeah. I, I don't know if Pat told you, I just got a TV series. And, uh, but I I, I'm doing a rap album right now at 80 yeah. years old. You're unbelievable. We're going to go for the I Grammys. And Pat, you, you know, Pat's kids have been listening to it. Yeah, I don't know very much about rap, but my oldest son, Alex, you know Alex Paul, you know? Yes. He he was he was a uh, rapper while he was in college. He went by the name of Trippy Pick. <laughs> oh <my laughs> I mean, God. he actually did shows. He was in clubs. So he, made, he he knows the genre. Right. So, uh, and, you know, Gianni and I don't. We come from a different school, you know? So he says, you got to show this stuff to, uh, to Alex, see what he says. The kid flipped. He said, this is unbelievable. Uh, you know, and he, he played it on a, he's got a car with a lot of, a lot of speakers in. They got a, a new BMW bomb. So when you hear this thing in full stereo, 
I mean, Gianni's voice is in it. What you heard? I, I sent you one of these, right? Did I? It's it's incredible, Gianni. And yeah. I think one of the most creative things I've heard in a long, long time. <laughs> Every, I'm, everybody's shocked. I'm getting phone calls and interviews now because the timing, obviously, The Godfather's coming out on the, the 25th of February in theaters, and then March is going broad on Paramount streaming. So anybody that's asking me for an interview, I said, we got to talk, talk about my rap. They said, what? And when they hear it, they let me talk about it. Uh, Gianni, it's it's incredibly creative and well done. Uh, and it, I, I guarantee, I, I promise you, that thing's going to be number one when it hits. It's well, we're, we're working it, I'll tell you. And the kid, uh, both of them, Joel, who, who, do, who does the actual rapping and writing, and the producer, when he first got in touch with me, his name is Oshnik, the heat maker. And I said, yeah, what's I don't your think name? His, uh, his parents christened him with that name, but, you know, we don't know. <laughs> so I asked him to put it in writing, what he wanted to do. But then I traced him out. He's one of the top producers for Sony, multi-platinum producers. And it's everybody that listens to it can't believe it. <laughs> Jenny, it's, it's incredibly well done. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know it's, what? It's going to be a huge hit, I'm sure. When this thing started, uh, Johnny uh, uh, was telling me he was talking to them and saying that they're, they're very thrilled to meet to meet Johnny. And, and they they basically said, and I'm paraphrasing this. You know, we piss ourselves off as gangsters. But this guy, this guy here, he's yeah. the real gangster. <laughs> well, that's what that's why they're so attracted to me. It's so crazy. <laughs> you're, but you're it's all good. School. You're the old school gangster, Gianni. You're the man, man. You walk I'm, in there. Yeah, and you know, it's so funny. Uh, Mike, Michael Franchese and and uh, Sammy DeBull and all of them were on a show talking about me. So they, uh -oh. they, they called me to talk. I said, I don't associate with those kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> I never yeah, been convicted of anything, crazy. right? <laughs> I, I never had handcuffs on. I never day a day in jail. You guys all went yeah, to jail. You're all in trouble. And you're talking about me. Okay, great. Yeah, Gianni, but the day is still young, man. It's not over yet. But, yeah, Paul, you'll appreciate this. <laughs> Paul, right now I'm in a James Patterson book. Oh, it's amazing. And what the, I mean, and, I mean, the acknowledgments, it's, it's one of the, I, mean, I hate my, my good friend Mark Seal, we know, you know, he, he just did the book, you know, Take the Cannolis, Leave the Gun. with Brilliant book. Brilliant. Great book. But yeah. this book is like I'm getting calls on that. Because they got Joe Colombo, Barry Schlotnick, everybody's talking about me in the book. So, I mean, Johnny, it's just... No Godfather without you, brother. We all know that. Oh, yeah, no, it was a lot. That's books. right. Yeah, but uh, I, I tell you, I, I've, heard, I've heard the first four songs on this, and they just keep getting better. No, it's good. I man. want to see your... Uh, Pat, you got to get a new look for the Grammys, okay? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Can't show up like that, bro. You're gonna you're gonna have to you know get some cutting edge stuff. He's what spiked, should I do? I I'll have him spike his hair or something. We'll give him. Yeah. I tell you, I'm not even wearing pants here. You know, this is, could, uh, that'll work. That'll get you on. Yeah. Man. That, that'll you get you a lot of notoriety. <laughs> but Gianni's gonna Gianni's gonna steal a show at the Grammys once again. Imagine <laughs> 80 year old rapper. Yep. Crazy. Yeah, there's not too many of them around. You, well, you, you heard it here first. It's, it's going to be a big hit. This stuff's going to be huge, man. It's I think so. Huge. I have a funny feeling about it. We're getting yeah. a lot of reaction. And Gianni, you got a TV show coming out now, right? You're starring in. Yeah, which is Kansas. It's called Kansas City. And it's the same people from Yellowstone producing it. That's a great. These guys are great, man. Yeah. And I thought they were kidding me again. I'm saying, wait a minute. They said, we want to offer you the, a lead role in this. I said, who is it? He said, Pete Inzerillo. I said, I knew Pete Inzerillo. And these are kids, because this is all about the 70s and 80s. It's about the pension fund money. Sure. So I said, wait a minute. I said, I borrowed $32 million to build a Renaissance hotel in 1977. They said, you did what? I said, <laughs> I know these people personally. So I, I have, uh, I, I, Pat knows it. There was like a, a wiretap with all of them oh, yeah. on it. Yeah. And so I think we touched on it in the book. So yeah, I, we did. I sent them the clip of it. They couldn't believe I knew all these guys. Now they're, yeah, they're referring to me about what the storyline should be. 
It's so yeah, funny. But the problem there was, Johnny, you were on the tape. I know. I was on the yeah. tape. Yeah. It's a fellow wiretap with Nick Savella, Corky Savella, uh, Joe Augusto, all those guys. <laughs> I guess this is where they get the term unindicted co-conspirator. There you that, go. That's where they get it from. Yeah. It's so funny, man. But well, Gianni, uh, anyway, your career is just getting bigger and bigger. As we sit here, it's blowing up in front of us. That's uh, fun. Uh, Thank God. I mean, we, a, a lot of it has to do with the book, though. They wouldn't be rapping. It's Pat's, Pat wrote a great book, as we know. Pat and it's still selling. It. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. I tell people to read it all the time. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> it's one of the greatest stories that people didn't know about before you guys wrote this book, Gianni. I mean, no one had any clue what it took to get this movie made. Everybody thought it was nothing, right? It was, ah, easy, big hit, biggest hit of all time, greatest movie ever made. And all they wanted to do was fire everybody all the time and get rid of them. Constantly. They hated Pozo. They hated Francis. They hated Al Pacino. They didn't want him within a thousand feet of that movie. And uh, and Francis had to fight his ass off to keep him. And look what it's happened. It's amazing, right? man. I mean, I, would not, I would have no career either. I mean, no, that movie. That movie really made me. And, and Gianni, you don't get the credit you deserve for getting that movie made. Literally, they just wanted to sweep you, it, it under the rug. That's why. Yeah, that they're doing a TV show, show right now called The Offer, and I'm not even mentioned in it. The kid that's playing me, we had him on the show. He called me to see, because he knew me well. He said, would you mind if I played you? <laughs> no, it's been fun. It's been real fun. Anyway, uh, we've just about run out of time, Paul. Thank you once again. Yeah, Paul, you always. You're, you're a great interview and... Always, I, I, this I wanted to hear about it because I was the in, I was major major with Nick Nitty at that time and uh, Tony Accardo during the seventies and eighties. I mean, we took so much money out of Vegas, but uh, it was insane, insane. Well, and those guys laughed at this this Graylord case, Gianni, because they, they they're I'm sure Ocardo sitting there going. They have no idea what corruption is. Okay? Oh, I know. This is bullshit gambling court and drunk court and traffic court they're talking about. They have no idea. No. And he was right. I mean, this was just the tip of the iceberg. And uh, get the book, Graylord Justice Chicago Style, by uh, my friend Rob Warden, who's pretty retired, but maybe one of the five best reporters ever to walk the earth. And That's great. wrote a magnificent story about this that was timely back in the day. Yeah, while you were talking, Paul, I looked on Amazon. It's available. Good. Oh, good. It's good. Well worth the read. It's funny. It's well done. And if you don't know anything about Chicago, you won't believe this stuff. That's wild. Once again, Paul, thank you very much. I'm going to call you. Uh, we're going to do another show after this. I'm going to call you. I've got something to talk to you about. All right. My pleasure, gentlemen. Gianni, good luck with Always, the Always, my man. Thank the, you so much. TV hit series. Can't wait, brother. All Can't right. Please. Bye-bye. Okay. Right, thank, thank you. Thank you, Paul. Well, we'll be right back. We're going to make some money, and then we're going to the mailbag. The mailbag. Mailbag. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil, from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com. That's CorleoneFineItalian.com. All right, we're back. back. What do we got today? We got mail from the mail bag. Okay, first one. Now, I'm, I'm going to try to sound like Megan. I certainly don't look like her. Well, well you, but, you're uh, going to raise your voice, too? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do the best I can. Just be okay, you. Okay, from Bill. Questions for me. Patrick, I was listening to this week's podcast about porn in Times Square. Uh, you were working the streets uh, back then. So do you, uh, do you have any involvement during the investigation of the Times Square murders? Mostly young prostitutes were victims. Uh, no, I did not. I was on Times Square. I worked there, but I was in the tactical patrol force. We were like the strike force in high crime areas. I was aware 
these killings were going on, it was uh, a, a businessman from New Jersey who crossed the river to kill these prostitutes. Some he would bring back to New Jersey. When was that, in the way. 80s? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he would bring them back to uh, motels right across the river and uh, kill them and dump their bodies. Or Some of them he left in the motel rooms. But I didn't have anything to do with that. There were so many murders going on. Uh, during the 80s, particularly when, when the crack epidemic started, at its peak, there were 24 homicides. 24, let's try that again. 2,400 homicides in one year. I believe it was 82 or 83. 2,400? 2,400. And to put that into perspective in two ways. One, the homicide rate now in uh, New York is high. They're crying about it. It's about 600. So there were 2,400 then. And to put it further into perspective, in the entire Iraqi war, which lasted 10 years, 4,000 American servicemen were killed in 10 years. We lost 2,400 citizens in one year in, in, in the city of, of New York in the 80s. You can imagine the homicide rate and people were fearing for their well, lives. What, what were, they, what, were they mostly prostitutes? All prostitutes. Wow. Yeah, this was called, a, uh, in police parlance, a public service homicide. You know, th- th- these women were, uh, were, were brutally killed. And uh, if it was some social life from certain uh, certain place, the investigation would have been a lot different. They they did cursory investigations until they realized that there was a pattern here, and then they went after the guy, and they finally got him. He's still alive, he's doing time, and he's he's never going to get out. He's a family man. His family thought the the, the best of him. Great guy, had a bunch of kids, and he actually killed twenty four. No, he didn't kill all of them. No, he killed. They don't know how many he killed. I, I believe they got about eight to ten bodies, but there were more. Oh, this oh. Is what they, so there's a lot of copycats. Well, no, he could have killed more, but that's they. You know, they only have to convict you once to get life. Oh, I know they, they that. They weren't going to try for every killing, but there was uh, there was a few. But I, I'm just trying to indicate the 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 times then in the 80s, 2,400 homicides in one year. That's I mean, amazing. just unbelievable. Uh, thank God those days are gone. Crack had a lot to do with it. I was uh, traveling a lot there in those days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was in the yeah, Vatican a lot. On you. All right, question number two from Ben Gianni. What is your go-to dish when you eat out of the restaurant for dinner? Wow, I, if, I, if it's a great Italian restaurant, I'll call ahead. Yeah. I love. I mean, it, it, some people have it as a salad. Some people have it hot. I love soupa de beche. I love the, the mussels and stuff. Those, those kind of dishes I don't make at home, so I'd rather, I'd rather go there. But Parkside, if you're ever in New York, in oh, Corona, yeah. that guy has the best food, period. But there, the, the fish salad or, or, or any of it. I mean, if the mussels and the clams and everything. It's like my grandmother yeah, made you- it. I used to go there every Thursday for the Asobuco. There you go. Nights. Yeah. I forgot I'm you were I never ran into you there before I knew you. It's still going. Great. I know. So strong. Well, when man. you and I uh, uh, met uh, last month, we called up Alfredo, the Mater D. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he still remembers me. Good for him. All right, moving along. From Elijah, Johnny and Megan, since you both live in New York City, what are uh, some of your Christmas traditions there? Which... Christmas traditions? Christmas traditions. I go to St. Patrick's, obviously, and, and Rockefeller Center. See okay, we tree. can't ask Megan, but she'd probably say the same right. thing. I mean, uh, uh, Fifth Avenue during Christmas is just beautiful. Uh, and, that, you know, this question wasn't directed to me, but I'll answer it anyway. There's a restaurant in Greenwich Village called One If By Land. Oh, my God, it's been there forever. Two, two old ladies do, own it. They do a Christmas layout there that's absolutely breathtaking yeah yeah it's absolutely that was an old horse stable i re- if yes. i remember right one up by land two if i see yep. absolutely it's a fish place okay uh from benny gianni how do you feel las vegas has changed over time we've had a, this question asked before uh what do you attribute it to is there still mob influence there there's no mob there that's what that's what changed it yeah, once, once uh, you know, Howard Hughes came in fronting the uh, the federal government. 
Bill Dana, all those guys, Bob Mayhew, the mob, it's all corporate. It's all corporate. Yep. Yep. R.I.P. Las Vegas. Okay. From Dawn, Gianni and Pat, what is your favorite vacation spot? You want to go first? Mine, my boat. <laughs> Wherever it is. That's why. I love it. I take it where I want. Mine is uh, St. Martin. We had a timeshare there for many years. I love that place. It's On a, the French side? Fr what? What side? Uh, the Dutch. Okay, good. By the airport. There was, uh, no, I know I, right I, where it is. Yeah, and I had, a lot. And over the going there for 30 years, and I've, I've got a lot of friends that own restaurants. In fact, I, I, I placed one of my uh, short stories there. But the French side is... There's a there's a, a border between the, the Dutch and the French side, but it's porous. You just drive back and forth. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful island. I mean, when I was going there, and it's been a while, uh, there wasn't any crime to speak of until some Jamaican drug dealers trying to take it over. Yeah. And that, now, that's, it, that's it, what my, Do you still have the condo? No. I The timeshare, no. I actually was able to sell three weeks of a timeshare uh, just before the timeshare market collapsed. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I sold I sold one to a very good friend of mine. He's, he's an attorney, and I sold the other two. Uh, this was about fifteen years ago, I guess. And after that, you you can't sell a timeshare if you give it away. I know. That's but why I, I'm laughing that you got out. I was able to get out. One of the uh, smartest things I ever did, because they kept on raising the uh, uh, the money you have to pay for the week. Right. It started out at like. $80, the maintenance. $100. Yeah, the maintenance. Okay, $150 a week. At the end, it was $1,200 for the week just to stay there. But you'll stay in a hotel. Hello. Yeah, silly. Anyway, okay. Uh, from Stephen Gianni, what is your favorite Frank Costello story? My favorite Frank Costello story was probably the day he said... I want to buy those pens from me again and meet me at the at the, the, the Waldorf the next day. He didn't That'd say be. it in those ways, but if you've read the book, you'll know what he did do. But that was probably the best time in my life that he, he took me under his wing, and my life has never been the same. Well, that transformed your life, absolutely. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, there can't be anything to compare with that. No. Okay, uh, moving on. From Rick Patrick, that would be me. Uh, any new books you're working on? I hope so. Funny you should ask, uh, Rick. Yeah, I hope Johnny so too, I... Rick. I hope he's yeah. working on a couple of books, a couple yeah, of mine uh, <laughs> with him. <laughs> we're uh, submitting our ideas for a fiction series based on, uh, loosely based on Gianni's life. So far, I've got half the proposal written. By the way, Gianni, I just outlined all three chapters that we have to submit with it. So now I will commence to writing them. But what this is going to be is a series of books uh, based on Gianni's life, but fictionalized, where we can name names and name incidences. And it, it's going to be something different. This hasn't really been done a lot uh, in, uh, in Well, fiction. the real reason we're doing it, I keep, get, keep getting these threatened phone calls from the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's what we're working on now. And we're, uh, we're uh, hoping for good things. Thank you very much, uh, Rick. Okay, from Jerry. Gianni, what are your, uh, what was your favorite uh, restaurants during your t uh, prime time in Las Vegas? A lot of food questions here. Well, yeah. Piero's. I've always liked Piero's. A great chef. My good friend, Freddie Glusman. They still, he still owns it. Piero's is still on Convention Center I, Drive. I go there too. You know what I used to see in there occasionally? Teddy Binion. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I very. I've been with the Vegas like once every other year or whatever it was. Every, every time I went to Piero's, he was there. Every anybody that knows good food eats there. That's why they have tables there. Stable like Rayo's here, but it's bigger yeah. than Rayo's, obviously. Oh, anything. My closet is bigger than Rayo's. Hello. All right, from Tom. Uh, came upon your podcast a few months ago. Great stories, the best. Do you ever get to Philly? Do I? Yeah. Well, you uh, want me. Well, uh, well I, I go to him when I used to. I mean, we, we sell a lot of Italian food there through Greco and Sons. So if you go to your favorite, go go to Little Italy. They got a lot of our Corleone foods. Yeah. I haven't been there in a while. I have a, a friend who lives there. 
been it's been a while. Uh, okay, last one from Zach. What was it like working with Dion Warwick? A pain in the ass. <laughs> Funny you should ask, uh, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I I watched Colbert just the other night to see if she changed her attitude. I haven't seen the lady or talked to in years. Still has that same chip on her shoulder, man. Well, I, I tell you, I watched the same interview uh, and, and a few others. Apparently, she's discovered the Internet, and she's uh, criticizing a lot of people on Instagram. And uh, I, think, I, th I think it's uh, primarily Instagram. She's, she, she, she's a major critic. Uh, people she just doesn't like, I guess. This and is and who is she? Off. Who cares what she thinks? That's now, so funny. Nobody. She's retired. You know what I really, I, I felt, because they said she was, they're building a room for her. She's going to have a residency as a performer. But she never said where they're building the room. Well, <laughs> it's. Yeah, the, she, she's in her 80s, no? What's that? She's in her 80s. Um, no, yeah, she, just 80. She's like I am, yeah. Okay, but you she know, was, you know, she was December 12th also. No, but really? she needs to work. She's broke. Yeah, well, that's you do a residency in Vegas, that's a lot of work. No kidding, but she's doing it in a place that sits about six people. Okay, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that wraps it up, folks. Uh, I'm sorry Megan wasn't around, she would have done a better job on these emails, but. That's it. We're done. We got a lot of surprise guests coming up. We, we wanted to make an announcement as we were talking about the Godfather going to its 50th anniversary. So we're going to be starting. In fact, next our next show is our first show in February. We have somebody coming on. But we're going to have a lot of surprise guests. Pat and I are going to be doing a lot of things because of this and our book and the success of that. And if you go to Corleone Fine Italian Foods... There now is a anniversary package you could buy. Where'd you go, really? Pat? I lost you for a I minute. was getting a call on my phone, which is attached to my iPad, and uh, I, oh. I had to cut it off. Well, thank you all. Tell your friends, write reviews, spread the word. We love doing the show. Megan, if you're listening, we missed you. Good night. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so awesome. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. You and I should be together. Take this love I long to give you. I'll be at your side forever. Call me. Don't be afraid. You can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.